Welcome to the Thrive Vineyard Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Kevin Kiefer. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit thrivevineyard.com. All right, good to see you guys this morning. Welcome, welcome. Uh, if you haven't been here in a long time, welcome. If you're here for the first time, really, uh, we love that anybody would come and, and spend some time with us as we worship God and uh, are just going after Him. And we are uh, a church, and we are a people that are going after God with everything that we are and everything that we have. And so we're excited to be with you. We're, we are excited about this rooted thing that we are launching today. Um, how many of you guys are going to do Rooted uh, in this fall? How many of you guys are doing it? Take a look around. I mean, that is amazing. That is amazing. So proud of you guys. And I know a lot of you guys are also doing uh, different groups, other groups. And so that just makes my pastor heart, uh, you know, skip a beat. So I'm just so proud of you guys. I want to talk a, a little bit about Rooted before I get into um, my sermon time. Um, this is special for us. We've never done something so comprehensively, and we never put something out that we felt was uh, going to be uh, so really life-changing. And so we're excited about it. And I was thinking about my first days in my first church uh, back in Kenosha. And uh, my first church experience was really, really different than what we are going to be getting ourselves into here uh, this, uh, this September and moving forward. And again, when I talk about this, I, I want you to know that this was strictly my experience. I know that lots of other people in the church that I went to had really, really powerful experiences, but, um, but mine was different uh, in that when I went to church on a regular basis, no one ever encouraged me to dig into the Bible. Nobody ever told me that that was important to do. Nobody said that you had to seek God for yourself, that you had to like go after him and you had to know uh, who he is and what, what he's called me to and know my identity and things like that. And so I never really did that because I had a priest who just told me everything that I needed to know. And I never, I never even had a Bible. I never brought a Bible to church. I never carried one because we had a hymnal and it was all sort of explained to us there. And so we were off the hook, really. It's the way that it felt like to me that all I needed to do is show up and they would give me what I needed and then I could leave, right? And so I never really built a foundation uh, under my feet for my faith. I never really knew what it was that I believed, and I never really interacted with the Bible. I also, um, I actually enjoyed a high level of anonymity when I went to church. I don't know if you guys have ever done this, but I loved the fact that I could come in and leave without talking to anybody, right? That's kind of what I wanted to do. And and um, as I got older, my parents actually quit going to church altogether, but they still wanted my brothers and I to go. And so they dropped us off. And um, and so for a little while, we would stay for, for uh, part of the service, and then we would leave. And pretty soon we discovered that all we really needed to show that we were at service was the bulletin. And so we would grab a bulletin and skip right on out of there, and nobody knew the difference. And so that wasn't very good, right? Um, but the reality for us was is that whether I showed up or not, and again, this was just me, but whether I showed up or not, it really didn't make a difference. I didn't feel touched. I didn't feel changed. I didn't feel very different at the end of that experience. And so when I, when I turned 18, I joined the Army, and I left for boot camp in September, and um, and boot camp was 12 weeks long, believe it or not, 12 weeks. And I was put into a platoon with a handful of other guys. And for 12 weeks, we did 
life together. We did everything together, and we we trained together. We learned our new identity as uh, soldiers, what it meant to be a soldier together. We learned how to care for ourselves and how to care for each other uh, in the midst of peace and in the midst of battle. During good times and hard times, we were given literal weapons to fight with, and we knew how to use them. We knew We knew how to fight, and we knew how to win. And so we experienced challenges together during those 12 weeks, and we built lasting friendships, uh, some of which have lasted now for me 34 years. That's how long those, those friendships have lasted. And kind of amazingly, when I got done with boot camp at Christmas time, just before Christmas, I got to go home, and my mom and dad, I spent uh, about a week at home, and after about 12 hours, my mom and dad said, you're different. There's just something different about you. And they said, you have changed. You have grown, Kevin. And they were kind of in awe and shock because I don't think I had changed or grown in the previous 18 years at all. And so we were all kind of excited about that, right? Um, and I feel like that's what's going to happen with you guys in, in Rooted. I think that's what's going to happen is that you are going to go deep in training. You're going to go deep in engaging the word. You're going to go deep in relationship with each other. And you're going to discover that people in that group need you and you need them. And it's going to make a difference. In 12 weeks from now, around Christmas time, somebody's going to look at you and they're going to say, you've changed. You're, there's something about you. You're more mature. You're more deeply in love with God. I don't know what it'll be, but I know that, uh, that you will grow in this experience. And so just like Wendy was saying, if you haven't signed up yet, don't, uh, don't worry about that. You can still do that. Um, and I know, again, that for some of you, this is a season where uh, engaging and rooted is an impossibility. And I would much rather you wait to do it when you can fully engage it than try to do it halfway. So that's, that's no problem. And I know that a lot of you guys are doing other groups, but we are just really excited about it. And I just want to pray for you, for every one of you guys right now. So Lord Jesus, I pray for every person that is um, going to be giving themselves to a, a deep dive in discipleship over the next 12 weeks. I pray, Lord Jesus, for your blessing for them, Lord. I pray for hunger and zeal. I pray that they would be dedicated, they would dig deeply and be shaped by uh, their experience in the word and shaped by their experience with other people that are doing it. And I pray, Lord, that it would honor you, it would glorify you, that it would strengthen and mature us as a church, Lord. Uh, Lord, we just love you. And we just pray that you do amazing things, Lord, in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. All right. So, uh, so you guys are, are here on what I think is going to be an interesting morning. And, um, I am praying for your, uh, grace and for your hunger for God and your hunger for, uh, his glory in your life. Uh, because we're going to get right into the thick of it this morning. We're going to be talking about, uh, COVID and all of the ins and outs regarding that. Um, and this sermon, so in our, our, on our Thrive Flame, we're going to be talking about growing in personal wholeness, growing to be mature believers, and we're going to be talking about gathering and what it means to be in fellowship and what it means to be in friendship here in the church. And I'm not really, I'm not really going to preach today, today, but I want to sort of have a family talk that I really hope will be life-giving and will be freeing and will be, um, really honoring to the Lord. And so, um, I know that the issues surrounding COVID and particularly uh, vaccinations and masking, that stuff can be scary. Like masking is scary, right? Do I have a picture up here? That's, that's scary, isn't it? 
I, I came, I came down to the kitchen one day. If she would have had a butcher knife in her hand, it would have been all over for me. <laughs> right. That, that would have been it. Right. <laughs> so, so yeah. So this stuff is like, this stuff is, it can, okay, we can get rid of that. Hey, how great is Molly that she gave me permission to show that, right? <laughs> so, but have you guys ever, have you had an experience over the last year, maybe even over the last month, where you were talking to someone about uh, COVID or about vaccinating or about masking or, uh, you know, public health or public discourse, and as they were talking, you were just like, I I had no idea you thought that. Like, I can't believe that that's what you think. Have you have you had that experience where you were just sort of taken aback by someone else's stance, and you kind of thought, how could they think that? How could they how could they think that? Not only do I disagree with you, but I don't even know where you're coming from, right? Have you had some like opportunity to spend time with someone and to just really uh, dig into these issues, even though you really really disagree with them, and you might even think that that their perspective could be dangerous, actually. Some of us might think that, right? And I've had, I've had a few of you guys share with me um, just your, your sadness about how COVID has divided us as a church, how COVID has separated people and caused uh, just a, a wall to be built up between people that where there was never a wall before. I've also had some of you guys come to me and say, I don't get how people can think in this other way, the opposite way of the way that I'm thinking. I don't know how they could think that. You know, what am I supposed to do about that? And so this is tricky, tricky stuff. And I want us to be a mature church. I want us to grow in love. And so I want to talk about this this morning. And I'm actually super, super, super excited about this. And the reason I'm excited about it is because we are at the precipice of such an opportunity. We have such an incredible opportunity right in front of us. And I, I feel like, um, I don't know how you guys would like think of COVID, but I felt like going through COVID was like a scary whitewater rafting ride where I was like, I never knew if I was going to be thrown out of the raft or something like that. And then I don't know if this happened to you, but like three months ago, four months ago, I hit just this period of calm. And I remember like telling Molly about six weeks ago, I said, I haven't put my mask on in two months. And it just felt so good to me. And then the next week, masking came back again, and I had to put my mask on again, right? So we are in choppy waters again. But we have this beautiful, wonderful opportunity to grow as disciples of Jesus, to be people like Jesus. And it's actually all because of COVID. We're in this cultural moment where the enemy is wanting to do something evil in the world and in the church, and yet God wants to use this as an opportunity for something good and something glorious and something powerful in us and in the church. He wants to use this as an opportunity to build us up and to strengthen us and help us to become so much more like Jesus. And so at the outset, I want to say to you guys that, uh, that, that our leadership team here at Thrive, we are striving as best as we can uh, to, uh, to honor God and to care for you guys. We want to, we care deeply about your safety and we care deeply about your freedom. We don't want to lay anything heavy on you guys, but we want to protect you. And so that's a, that's a tricky place for the leadership team to be. And I would just ask you guys to pray for us, to encourage us, to cheer us on, to give us wisdom, because that is not easy to do. But 
I'll say this. Today, we're not going to talk about policy or anything like that. Uh, what we're going to be talking about is guiding principles. We're going to talk about guiding principles about how we are going to treat one another, how we're going to think about one another, how we're going to care for one another, especially when we disagree on things that are important to us. And so we're going to keep this in the context of vaccinations in the context of masking and COVID. And you see that we've got like a section because some of you guys said, hey, we'd feel more comfortable if there was a section where everybody was masked. I'm like, thank, yeah, let's do that. We want to provide that for you guys. But we're not going to be talking about that stuff. I want to talk about how we will relate to each other. And I have such a sense of expectancy that as we um, grow in this, that that just like we're going to grow through um, through rooted, you're going to grow in the way that you care for and love and honor people that disagree with you. And you're going to grow so much that in a couple of months, I'm going to line each of you guys up at the door jam back there with my pencil, and I'm going to we're going to measure the stature of your your love and your care for each other because you will have grown. And the thing about crisis is, is that crisis has a way of pulling the, the, the rug back on things. It has the way, a way of, of like exposing things that we didn't know were really, really in there. We might have once thought, hey, I'm a per, I'm a love everyone always person, right? Like, I don't know if you've ever thought that about yourself. I thought I, I can love anybody. And then some things happened and I discovered that there were places in my heart and places where my life where that notion was really, really challenged. And so I see this season, I don't know if that's true of you or not, but I see this season as a season of refining. We are in a season of refining. And so Peter put it this way, and I've got a couple of scriptures here that I want to share with you. Peter wrote this, he said, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy, He has caused us to be born again into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And then on on to, to verse six, he says, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, that your faith may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Did we not just worship and sing something exactly like this? That our faith would be found to result in praise and glory and honor and revelation of Jesus Christ. God spoke through the prophet Isaiah and he said this, Behold, I have refined you, but not as silver. I have tried you in the furnace of affliction. And I believe that God is testing and refining us today. He is testing and refining, testing and refining. And I, I, I don't, I want, I don't know if you know this, but God is testing your love right now. He's testing your faith right now. He is testing your Christ likeness in this season right now. And it's like, well, how am I being tested? Well, one of the ways that you're being tested is you're being tested every time someone says, you need to put your mask on with a little bit of force. Every time someone looks at you with judgment or condescension in their eyes or they make a passive-aggressive remark because you've chosen not to get vaccinated or you've chosen not to wear a mask in church, right in that moment when your face gets flushed and your kind of fists get tensed up and you're ready to maybe even like literally fight for your freedom, in that moment, you are being tested. You're being, your love quotient is being tested. Your mercy, your grace is being tested. Your ability to humble yourself and honor someone above yourself is being tested right in that moment. You're being refined in the fire. 
How are we being tested? We're being tested. If you are pro-vaccine, pro-mask, you're being tested everyone, every time someone says, I am not for that and I will not do that. And you want to like shake them and force them to do something that they're against. In that moment, you're being tested. When you're tempted to call them names in your head, you're being tested. And we do this, don't we? We all do this. We put labels on people when we disagree with them or when they disagree with us and we're tempted to call them names and we might call them stupid or hypocrite or extremist or radical, right? And in that moment, whenever it is that we stop calling a person by their name and we call them a name, we have done the devil's work for him every single time. Every time we put a label like anti-masker or anti-vaxxer or a raging liberal with a hidden agenda, we depersonalize people and we step outside of love and we step outside of God's heart and God's will. And isn't this exactly the opposite of what Jesus did? Like, didn't Jesus love us when we were yet his enemies, while we were yet sinners, while we were yet misguided rebels? Jesus loved us so much that he died for us. And I just want to ask as a church, what do you what kind of person do you want to be? Like, what kind of person do you really want to be in your deepest part of you, in your heart of hearts? Who do you want to be? Because while COVID has brought about a lot of death and a lot of fear, God is going to use this to bring about a lot of life. And he's going to use this to bring about love in our hearts and character in our lives that could never develop without this season that we are in. And so I want to talk about um, our guiding principle for our thought life and for our words, and for our behavior here at Thrive. And if if someone were to ask you, what are your guiding principles around COVID issues? Would you be able to answer them? I'll tell you, uh, I see one. Okay, good. That's amazing. Because if you would have asked me that probably two weeks ago, I would have said, "Uh, I I don't know. I haven't really thought about it. I don't know what my guiding principles are, but now I do because I've been thinking about it, right? And I know that you have guiding principles around this as well. And, and so God has given us these, and he says, this is the way. Walk in it, right? And so what, is our, what are our guiding principles? Well, to be honest, I've oversold it. There's only one. I've only got one guiding principle for us today, and it's this. Love one another. You saw that coming, right? Love one another. Uh, Jesus said this in John chapter 13. He said, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, You must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And I know that we sometimes think that we are a love one another type person, but then sometimes the heat gets turned on and our lovelessness gets revealed. And Jesus even said this. He went so far as to say, not only do I want you to love one another, but I want you to love your who? Enemies, your enemies. I want you to love your enemies. He said in, in, the, uh, uh, in the Sermon on the Mount, he said, but I say to you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you or judge you or look bad at you, you know, you know look you at you in a weird way or whatever. Pray for those who persecute you. And in, in, in that way, you will be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. And when Jesus said, love your enemies, he set this incredibly high standard for all of us in a couple of different regards. First of all, he defined how it is that we are to think 
and speak to and treat each other. And isn't it annoying that Jesus like is always about like the heart? Isn't it annoying that it's not good enough that I could act nice to you all? He actually cares about the way that I process it internally. He cares about my thought life, right? And so he says, love your enemies, because when you do, you will be acting like true children of God. And so the standard is so high. Not only can we not be condescending, but we're not supposed to just be cordial. We're not supposed to just be respectful. We're not supposed to be forbearing. We are supposed to put on love. Our standard goes so much higher than that, right? And secondly, he tells us about who we are to love. Not only are we to love the people in the pews here that we just think are so great, but we're actually to love people that he would say are our enemies. Now, I don't know about you, I haven't had an enemy since junior high school. Like, I don't know if you, anybody here have an enemy? Like, yeah, that person's totally my enemy, right? I don't think that is true of you guys. But I do know that we have people that we find very hard to be around because of their stance on some of this stuff. I know we have people that we find it very difficult not to judge. Maybe there's people on Facebook or somewhere where we just we just read their stuff and it gets us so angry. Maybe it could be a family member who either is or isn't vaccinated or who's judgy. Um, people that might be even here in the pews. And these are the people, the people that we have a hard time understanding, the people we have a hard time not judging. Those are the specific people that Jesus said, I want you to love that person. And lest we be tempted to kind of water down what it means to love, God defines it for us, doesn't he? He defines it for us in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And we haven't been here in a while. And so we're going to dig into it for a second because I want us to know What God means when he says, I want you to love one another. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It doesn't boast. It is not proud. Love does not dishonor others. That's a hard one. It isn't self-seeking. It isn't easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but it rejoices in the truth. It always protects. That's powerful. It always trusts. It always hopes. It always perseveres. So what does it mean to love people when we disagree with them? It means that with kindness, we keep no record of wrongs. We keep no record of bad judgment. We keep no record of bad decisions or a bad way of relating to people. In other words, we do not judge. We do not think judgment. We do not speak judgment. As a matter of fact, love goes so so far as to protect the person that we would have previously judged, right? I don't know about you guys, but I have actually found myself having a hard time accepting some people simply because they disagreed with me. That was all it took. I had a hard time uh, being with them because they only disagreed with me. And there's this incredible, wonderful parallel to what we're dealing with right now uh, in the book of Romans. Paul is going to tell us how to care for each other, how to relate to one another when it comes to issues of disagreement. Uh, and it's found in Romans 14. And he's going to be talking about issues surrounding food that you can eat and, you know, uh, holidays and things like that. But I want you to couch this in our context for a bit here, okay? And so Paul writes this. This is so good. It's so powerful. He said, be willing to accept those who still have doubts about what believers can do. And don't argue with them about their different ideas. Some people believe that they can eat any kind of food, but those who have doubts eat only vegetables. Those who know that they can eat uh, any kind of food must not feel that they are better than those who eat only vegetables. Isn't this good? And those who eat only vegetables must not decide that those who eat all the foods are wrong. 
God has accepted them. You cannot judge the servants of someone else. Their own master decides if they are doing right or wrong. And the Lord's servants will be right because the Lord is able to make them right. Some people might believe that one day is more important than another, and others might believe that every day is the same. Everyone should be sure about their beliefs in their own mind. And those who think that one day is more important than other days are doing that for the Lord. And those who eat all kinds of foods are doing that for the Lord. Yes, they give gifts to to God for that food. And those who refuse to eat some foods do that for the Lord. And they also give thanks to God. Verse 10. So why do you judge your brother and sister in Christ? And why do you think that you are better than they are? We will all stand before God and he will judge us all. This is a picture of Christian maturity. This is a picture of what it looks like to be able to fellowship in the kingdom, to have brothers and sisters when we disagree. What does it mean to honor God? I believe it means that we deal ruthlessly with our judgments, that we deal ruthlessly with our lovelessness. And we work, listen to this, we work to protect the character and the dignity and the life of people that disagree with us. That's what I believe this means. Verse 5 also tells us that our love would never dishonor others. It would never speak a word that would lessen dignity or the value of another person. As a matter of fact, love says honor one another. Where? Above. Above yourself. In Romans chapter 12, Paul says this, don't just pretend to love others, to love others. In other words, don't just love them to their face the way that church people often do, but really love them. Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love and honor one another above yourselves. This is hard stuff, but it's so good. Verse five also says that we are not to be easily angered. And what I, how I interpret that is don't get hooked. Don't allow yourself to get hooked by differing opinions or different behavior from other people. And last week, uh, Molly, as she was preaching her sermon, she said she had a mantra for you, and we had talked about it, and I was like, I don't know if mantra is like a good Christian word or whatever, but she said I'm going to do it anyway. And so today I've got a new mantra for us. This is not an Eastern thing, but listen to this. Here's, Here's something that I want us to think about. Love allows you to be you, and me to be me, and it paves the way for friendship even when we disagree. I want you to say that with me, okay? This is audience participation. Love allows you to be you and me to be me, and it paves the way for friendship even when we disagree. Do you find that life-giving? Isn't that life-giving that we can allow every one of us, you can be you, And I could be me and love will cover all of that. And we can be in friendship and in fellowship, even when we disagree, right? And so not only does Paul tell us how we are to treat one another, but he actually puts love into a perspective regarding other priorities, right? Lest we think that the highest priority to God is our stance on vaccination or our stance on masking or anything else. Paul writes this. He said, if I speak, in the tongues of men and of angels, but I have not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have a gift of prophecy and I can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, if I have a faith that can move mountains, but I do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and I give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but I do not have love, I gain nothing. In other words, and here's the thing, I know that at at a really high level, I'm just preaching to the choir here, But no matter how right you are in your position, no no matter how enlightened you are in your position, no matter how airtight 
your case is. It's God's perspective that if you do not have love, if you do not put on love, then none of that matters. None of your rightness matters to him. And so uh, I'm going to kind of wrap us up by, by also, I want to also talk about, well, does that mean that we're supposed to just zip our lips, that we can never say anything to anybody, that we can never challenge anyone, that we can never speak what we believe to be the truth for them, even if, we, even if our hearts are in the right place? Definitely not. That's not what I'm saying. So let's talk about how do we talk to people when we disagree, right? Well, Paul says this in Colossians chapter 4, verse 6. He said, let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how to answer everyone. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. In other words, the old adage, I think, of of evangelism applies here, which is this. People will not care what you know until they know that you care. People won't care what you know until they know that you care. Paul is teaching us how to talk to each other. And what he's saying is is that when we discuss things that are touchy, when we discuss things that are hard, and this is, of course, true of COVID, but it's good in marriage, it's good in all kinds of arenas of our life. But when we do that, we need to lavish all kinds of grace and all kinds of love and all kinds of mercy onto this person as we're communicating. And then we need to season that conversation with the, the exhortation or the truth that we want to share with them. And to be honest with you guys, we've been taught this stuff in every kind of like leadership seminar and, you know, marriage classes in the business world. You know how you're supposed to give constructive criticism, right? In the sandwich, right? So the sandwiches, you, you start out with like encouragement and compliment. You're doing a really, really great job in X, Y, and Z. Really appreciate you. And hey, if you could just maybe think about working on this particular area, that would really help us out a lot. And by the way, you're really awesome. I'm so, you know, you're such a high value for me. Thank you so much. That's what they say in the business world. And that's exactly how we need to do it when we're confronting each other with truth, right? When we challenge each other. And unfortunately, a lot of us have done more harm in our relationships than good because there's been too much truth and too little grace. Have you ever done that? You just lavished truth on there and there was like no grace. And for whatever reason, they couldn't receive your truth. Have you done that? I've done that lots and lots of times, right? Um, And when we speak the truth, we need to dip it in love. Because if our truth is not dipped in love, it is actually not ready to be served. Here's here's another little practical thing when it comes to engaging people and stuff. Uh, And this this is really helpful for me, and I need to try to live this out a little bit more in my family. But my, uh, my old pastor at Elgin Vineyard Church, he was a mentor to me. And uh, at, when I was the associate pastor there, we were talking about kind of pastoral care and counseling. And he said, I have a rule that I, I try to live by, and it's this. When people stop listening, I stop talking. When people stop listening, I just stop talking. And I thought that was very good because what I tend to do is when people stop listening, I just get louder, <laughs> right? You ever do that, right? I just amp it up a bit, right? Drive a little harder to the hoop. That'll do it, right? Or we could just flip the coin and we can totally give them the cold shoulder. That's also an option, right? No, that is not what we're supposed to do. So when people around us, even if we're well-meaning, if they stop listening, I want to encourage you and challenge you to stop talking because everything else will not produce any good fruit. So 
there may be a time and there may be a place to confront someone or challenge someone. But before we ever do, we need to prepare ourselves. And so here's just four things that you can do to prepare yourself when you want to confront or bring, uh, you know, some sort of like a constructive criticism. First of all, we need to make sure that our hearts are fully for that person, that you are for them, that you love them, right? Um, secondly, we need to make sure that our conversations are full of grace and seasoned with salt or seasoned with truth, right? Thirdly, I want to encourage us to peacefully bless people to be them. I am mature, and I will let you be you, and I will be me so that we can love each other and continue in fellowship together, right? So loving each other and peacefully blessing people to be who they are is the mature, godly way to treat people. And finally, when you sense the person to stop listening, I would encourage you to stop talking, right? And if you feel like they are missing out on your great pearls of wisdom, they might be. And I think Solomon has something to say about throwing your pearls before swine, but we're not actually supposed to go there right now, right? So here's, I'm just going to wrap up and I want to say this. This is my heart's desire. I I actually was going to preach on something uh, other than this, but it's my great desire, church, that we would be just a people that can love everybody, that can honor everybody. And if we, I know there's somebody in this room that you just don't get them. You don't get why they think what they think. You don't get why they do what they do. And that is okay because they answer to God. They belong to God. God is their master. And is it not, I, my heart was that this would be a relief to us that you don't have to be God anymore. You don't have to rule over anyone other than yourself anymore. It is plenty of responsibility for us to become a people that can love anyone. Let's focus on that. I just want us to be a church that just loves and cares for each other so that the world will know that we follow Jesus, that Jesus gets glory and Jesus gets honor through the way that we love each other. Does that make sense? Anybody going to email me this week and give me a, give me a hard time? <laughs> All right. Why don't we stand up? <laughs> Molly said she was going to email me and give me a hard time about the picture. All right, Um, so if any of this has resonated with any part of your heart, let's just offer that to the Lord right now. Let's just ask God to do that refining work um, in our hearts right now. And, And this may be a time for you to repent. This may be a time where there's a part of your life, things that you've thought, things that you've done, things that you've said that have dishonored God, have not portrayed the heart of Jesus. And so I would just encourage you to do some heart searching right now. And just allow the the spirit to convict if he wants to convict, to encourage if he wants to encourage, whatever it is. Holy Spirit, would you just come and, and minister to us and speak to us right now? I um, I just got a sense. Uh, the 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 Lord is actually saying uh, to to you guys, well done. Like God sees your hearts. There's this well done in His heart for you. He sees 
the purity of your hearts. He sees the people that you want to be, the way that love does dwell in your heart. And he's just speaking to that. Lord, I, I just thank you for um, the hunger and the desire that, that um, each of us have to glorify you and to honor you and to do right and well with you and to do right and well with people. And I just pray, Holy Spirit, would you breathe on that right now?